The evidence thus far suggests that in the first few minutes after death, consciousness is not annihilated. Whether it fades away afterwards, we do not know. But right after death, consciousness is not lost. It's one of the great wonders of life. What will it be like to go to sleep and never wake up? Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You will find out, it'll pose the next question to you, what was it like to wake up after having never gone to sleep? That was when you were born. I started getting depressed. I thought, what kind of purpose do I have to live? I mean, do you, are you just here to live to die? I mean. Is there not a purpose for me? Is there not a purpose in life? And when you're ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. I woke up and I suddenly got it. I suddenly felt, who is it that's aware that I'm thinking? And suddenly I was thrown into this expansive, amazing feeling of freedom. You suddenly see that there isn't a grain of dust in the whole universe that's in the wrong place. But you understand completely, absolutely, totally what it's all about. The experience you are having, which you call ordinary everyday consciousness, pretending you're not it, that experience is exactly the same thing as it. There's no difference at all. I saw that I was bigger than what I do. I was bigger than my body. I was everything and everyone. Take us through it. What, what happens to you as you find yourself submerged underwater? Well, I was submerged and the force of the water had me absolutely pinned to the front deck of the boat. This is while you're under the water with no air, with you, you can't breathe, you're, you're completely submerged. And at that time I gave my life over to God and truly and sincerely asked that God's will be done. And at that moment, everything changed. I was very calm and peaceful and felt great. And I had this very physical sense of being held and comforted and reassured that everything would be fine, regardless of whether I lived or died. I was no longer a fragment of the universe. I was the universe. Everybody is fundamentally the ultimate reality, the deep down basic whatever there is, and you're all that, only you're pretending you're not. Now I understand.
understand why we die. The reason we die is to give us the opportunity to understand what life's all about. yourself silly. By the way, I'm just going to get super honest with you. The age at which you were expected, many of you were expected to start suppressing these emotional states, you weren't actually capable of it. Are you aware of that? Well, toddler age is usually the first age where kids start saying no, they start having their own sense of self, they start having boundaries. And this is the point at which most parents start expecting a child to self-soothe. This is assuming that we weren't practicing the Ferberizer method, which is my personal enemy on this planet, you guys. You guys heard about the Ferberizing technique? Oh my god, you guys, this is, I, have, I almost like that you didn't hear about this, but probably some of you should because you were raised this way. Dr. Ferber was a guy who came out of the box and basically said, children need to learn how to self-soothe. So from the moment that this baby is born, this child is to be crying it out. He's the creator of the cry it out method, which is that if a child is crying, you got to leave them to their own devices so that they learn how to self-soothe. This is, of course, before the point in time where we realized even scientifically that a child is not capable of doing that, even in their toddler years. So actually what happened is you had a child with very real needs who's getting actively ignored and can do nothing about it. It is the single biggest creator of sociopathic behavior on the planet. If somebody asks me, what do you consider to be the worst thing that ever happened to planet Earth? I actually have the answer, the ferberizing technique, but it is still the preferred method of dealing with babies today. Well, you know how, like, the collective usually takes years and years to catch up with where science is, you know? Once science figures out this is bad for somebody, it takes, like, two or three generations for everyone to be like, oh, we get it now, it's bad for you. And we're right there with this ferberizing method. So, I can tell you that you were put through this type of process where you're expected to self-soothe before you are actually physiologically capable of it. And, and what you don't have a lot of contact with yet, because you haven't been doing enough trauma work yet with this, is just how much emotional damage that has done. It means that the, if you're in that type of experience, it's truly 100% being trapped and powerless is your childhood experience and therefore the foundation of your life and relationships. I'm dying, Terry, I'm dying. We're all dying, Arthur. I'm, I'm speaking business-wise. Yeah. Man of my sensitivity in middle years does not need to be reminded of physical mortality, thank you very much. Well, I have a sort of suggestion. And that is this. That before we decide either to save the planet or to destroy it, we pause for a moment of silence. 
I don't mean that kind of grim silence which one observes when somebody says uh, such and such a famous person has just died and we'll observe a moment of silence in his honor and everybody frowns and thinks very serious thoughts. That's not silence at all. I mean real silence in which we stop thinking and experience reality as reality is. Because after all, if I talk all the time, I can't hear what anyone else has to say. And if I think all the time, and by that I mean specifically talking to yourself subvocally inside your skull. If I think all the time, I have nothing to think about except thoughts. And so I'm never in touch with the real world. Now what is the real world? Some people have the theory that the real world is material or physical. I say it's made a kind of a stuff. Other people have the theory that the real world is spiritual or mental. But I want you to point out that both those theories of the world are concepts. They are constructions of words. And the real world is not an idea. It is not words. Reality is... find therefore that if you get with reality all sorts of illusions disappear and I will mention several illusions that have not this kind of existence let's begin with some very down-to-earth ones like money Money is a very useful method of accounting. It is a measure of wealth in the same way as inches are measures of length and grams measures of weight. You cannot eat money. You could have a fantastic quantity of dollar bills and uh, stock certificates on a desert island and they would be useless to you. What you would need would be food and uh, animals and companions. Money simply represents wealth in rather the same way that the menu represents the dinner. Only we are psychologically perverted in such a way that we would, some of us, would rather have money than real wealth. But you know, you cannot drive in five cars at once, even though they be Cadillacs. You cannot live simultaneously in six houses or eat 12 roasts of beef at one meal. There is a limit to what one can consume. 
so that's one of the sort of confusions i'm talking about another is that we confuse ourselves as living organisms with our idea of ourselves that is to say with a conception of myself which is called the personality or ego we that is what we have been told we are and it's an extremely crude and limited conception of oneself of the actual unique living organism and we get unhappy because we're thinking of ourselves in this way because we think well gee i'm going to die I once talked to a woman who came to me and said she was afraid of death. And uh, we went into it in a long conversation. I said, what are you really afraid of? And she thought it over and thought it over and he said, you know, what I'm going to be afraid of is what other people are going to say. They're going to say, poor old Gert, she couldn't last it through. <laughs> because you see... <laughs> Who you think you are is entirely dependent on who people have told you you are. You're not that. Then another thing that bothers, bothers us is time. Most people nowadays say, I have no time. Of course you don't. Because you're not aware of the present. You know, the present is represented on your watch by a hairline that is as thin as possible as is consistent with visibility. And so everybody thinks the present is instead of now, the present is the only real time. There is no past and there isn't a future. And there never will be. We think ordinarily of the present as an infinitesimal point at which the future changes into the past. And we also do a terrible thing. We imagine ourselves to be results of the past. And we're always passing the buck over our shoulders, like uh, when God approached Adam in the Garden of Eden and said, Hast thou eaten of the fruit of the tree whereof I told thee thou shouldst not eat? And Adam said, this woman thou gavest me, she tempted me and I did eat. And God looked at Eve and said, hast thou eaten of the fruit of the tree whereof I told thee thou shouldst not eat? And she said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And God out of the corner of his eye looked at the serpent. The serpent said nothing. So you see, we're always passing the buck. We don't realize that the past is caused by the present as the wake of a ship flows back from the prow. Now the wake doesn't drive the ship any more than the tail wags the dog. But we've all got excuses. When my mother had a fit while she was carrying me in the womb. 
uh, they didn't bring me up right. And then they go to the mother and say, how is it that you could have been so irresponsible with your children? And she says, well, it was my parents who didn't bring me up right either. <laughs> and so everybody passes the buck. But the truth of the matter is it all begins here. This is where the creation begins. And you're doing it and won't admit it. Because, of course, you're all God in disguise. Jesus found that out and they crucified him for saying so. So, you, this is a very odd thing for Westerners to understand and particularly for Americans. Because we are so fixated on the future. When we say we want to put something down, we say it has no future. Well, do you? Much better to have a present. Because if you don't, it's useless to make plans. Because when they work out, you won't be there to enjoy them. You'll be thinking of something else. So we don't we realize that we are living out of now and throwing the past behind us. is a deeper question altogether, which is, what do you desire? What makes you itch? What sort of a situation would you like? Let's suppose, I do this often in vocational guidance of students. They come to me and say, well, uh, we're getting out of college and we haven't the faintest idea what we want to do. So I always ask the question, what would you like to do if money were no object? What, how would you really enjoy spending your life? Well, it's so amazing as a result of our kind of educational system, crowds of students say, well, we'd like to be painters, we'd like to be poets, we'd like to be writers, but as everybody knows, you can't earn any money that way. Or another person says, well, I'd like to live an out-of-doors life and ride horses. I said, do you want to teach in a riding school? Uh, let's go through with it. What do you want to do? When we finally got down to something which the individual says he really wants to do, I will say to him, you do that. And uh, forget the money. Uh, because if you say that getting the money is the most important thing, you will spend your life completely wasting your time. You'll be doing things you don't like doing in order to go on living, that is to go on doing things you don't like doing, which is stupid. Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. And after all, if you do really like what you're doing, it doesn't matter what it is, you can eventually turn it, uh, you can eventually become a master of it. It's the only way to become a master of something, to be really with it. 
and then you'll be able to get a good fee for whatever it is. So don't don't worry too much. That that's uh, everybody's uh, somebody's interested in everything, and anything you can be interested in, you'll find others who are. But it's absolutely stupid to spend your time doing things you don't like, in order to go on spending things you don't like and doing things you don't like, and to teach your children to follow in the same track. See what we're doing is we're bringing up children and educating them to live the same sort of lives we're living in order that they may justify themselves and find satisfaction in life by bringing up their children, to bring up their children to do the same thing, so it's all wretch and no vomit. It never gets there. And so, therefore, it's so important to consider this question, what do I desire? Well, when we answer that question in a naive way, we figure out that we want a desire uh, well, what we want is to control everything. To create girls that don't grow old, apples that don't rot, clothes that never wear out, conveyances that get from one place to another instantly so we don't have to wait, power available to do anything that you could conceive and do it just instantly like that. To get this funny technological omnipotence. But if you take time out to think about that and really go into it with your full strength of imagination and find out whether that's where you want to be, you will soon see that's not what you want. Because the moment you have a situation where you are really in control of things, that is to say in which the future is almost completely predictable. You will see, as I said last night, that a completely predictable future is already the past. You've had it. And that's not what you want. You want a surprise. And you don't know what that's going to be, because obviously it wouldn't be a surprise if you did. You want a pleasant surprise. But like you say, what sort of a surprise would be pleasant? And you can't really answer that. Because you know if there are to be such things as pleasant surprises, there must also be unpleasant surprises. There must be rude shocks. So you're like somebody taking a, one of those wishing well boxes, you know, tubs, you know, where you fish in and you bring out a package. And you don't know whether you've got a dead rat in it or a new camera. <laughs> and that's the way. That's, that seems to be the thing that really excites people. But quite certainly there comes out of this inquiry a feeling of real disillusionment with the ideal of power. To be in power, to be in control, is not something that any sensible person wants. Now you may say that's shirking responsibility that if you were a really responsible person, you would go out for power and try to use power to the best possible advantage for the benefit of all. All right, what would be the benefit of all? Ask them, what do you want me to do with this power? I'm dictator. What would you like me to do? Well, nobody knows because they haven't thought it through. They think of all sorts of short-range things. And they are largely conflicting and confusing. 
because they're not well thought out. But again, when it finally comes down to it, nobody wants to be God. Now, I think that this is the greatest possible lesson for the Western world to learn, because we are so hung up on the idea of power, of control, of being able to make everything go the right way. And if we've never thought it through, when you get control of it, what are you going to do with it? And so when you think things through like that, you understand you do not want power. You don't want to control everything. And therefore, in the exploration of what you want, you get to the point where having all pleasures at your command, and they pall, and you think of new sources of pleasure. And eventually you get like the ancient Romans, who had all these mad crowds of barbarians who had to go every Saturday to the Colosseum for a show that really had to surpass everything. Because they had public baths, they had prostitutes, they had every kind of luxury. But when they went to see one of the big shows that people like Nero put on, they would have, for example, floats circling the Colosseum, all full of slave girls from distant parts of the Mediterranean, garlanded with flowers and waving at the crowd and going innocently around. And the next minute they would release wild lions into the arena to eat up all the slave girls. And they got a big sadistic kick out of that. Because you see, pursuing pleasure beyond a certain place takes you into what the Buddhists call the Naraka world, that is to say the hells. When you have explored pleasure to its ultimate limit, the only thing you can get a kick out of is pain. And so naturally, you descend from the Deva world at the top of the wheel to the Naraka world at the bottom, where it shows all these beings in, in states of torture. You get to the hell world as a result of not knowing what you want. As a result of thoughtless pursuit of pleasure, which ends you eventually in the pursuit of pain. So when you're in the hell world, that's where you want to be. So when I ask, I go right down to the question, should we start with, what do I want? The answer is, I don't know. When Bodhidharma was asked, who are you? Which is another form of the same question. He said, I don't know. Planting flowers to which the butterflies come. Bodhidharma says, I know not. I don't know what I want. When you don't know what you want, you've re reached the state of desirelessness. When you really don't know, you see, there's a, there's a beginning stage of not knowing and there's an ending stage of not knowing. In the beginning stage, you don't know what you want because you haven't thought about it or you've only thought superficially. And then when you, somebody forces you to think about it and go through and say, yeah, I think I like this, I think I like that, I think I like the other, that's the middle stage. And then you get beyond that. Say, is that what I really want? In the end you say, no, I don't think that's it. <laughs> I might be satisfied with it for a while, and I wouldn't turn my nose up at it. But it's not really what I want. Why don't you really know what you want? 
two reasons that you don't really know what you want. Number one, you have it. Number two, you don't know yourself because you never can. The Godhead is never an object of its own knowledge. Just as a knife doesn't cut itself, fire doesn't burn itself, light doesn't illumine itself. It's always an endless mystery to itself. I don't know. And this I don't know, uttered in the infinite interior of the spirit, this I don't know is the same thing as I love, I let go, I don't try to force or control. It's the same thing as humility. Any time you, as it were, voluntarily let up control, in other words, cease to cling to yourself, you have an access of power. Because you're wasting energy all the time in self-defense trying to manage things, trying to force things to conform to your will. The moment you stop doing that, that wasted energy is available. Therefore, you are, in that sense, having that energy available, you are one with the divine principle. You have the energy. When you're trying, however, to act as if you were God, that is to say, you don't trust anybody and you're the dictator and you have to keep everybody in line, you lose the divine energy. Because what you're doing is simply defending yourself. So then, the principle is, the more you give it away, the more it comes back. My nigga, then you should know that I ain't forgetting where I come from, but I'ma lurk that It's killer be killed, if they don't kill you You gon' have to smoke that In eighth grade, I had 40 Had to learn to work that Had to learn to tuck that Metal detector, fuck that We shooting dice in the back We'll shoot you out your shoes and lunch past With the one, with the drive Anyway, you're trying to pass hey. She fell in love with a gangster Say I make it come fast I fuck her front of back slow And I the front fast And now I'm rich, these niggas sick I'm making everyone mad When I was broke, I'm like, what was everyone at? I'm fucking up When I was out there on that corner trying to sell her up Zimbaland, freezing in that fucking snow, I wanna know World trap, grinding all night, I ain't gonna sleep Seeing niggas get it, lose it all, just in quarantine Be away, checks running low Niggas doing things about tracking for your track hawk Fucking feel now Niggas want a Chevy, I was young, but I had Porsche dreams Try to tell my youngest that just don't buy no more jeans And never post his gun when he be posting, but he on lean And fuck, I'm really telling when I was stuck since like 14 He say in the drilling shit and he ain't got no more dreams I set him on his million shit, made 20 of them quarantine Woo! And I'm gonna run this shit back for the whole team, for real And as the marathon continue, we 
put niggas on to me, you they ain't into what we into red. Beam all in the face, I'm trying to see if niggas can do what we aiming at your head top. I'm doing good, I got reform, I know it's drawn, but I can stick at your man rock. I can be with niggas, I'm too busy in the glam chop. And I only move with niggas that I grew with from sandbox. And niggas know I'm big dog, you know what I'm saying? Like, for real. Nah. 2021, nigga. Survival of the fittest. I meant for survival of the list, nigga. You already know how we coming. The biggest stepper. <laughs> Meek Millie and this bitch. I would have anything on the plate, fuck. Damn! That'll wake you up right there. You know the feeling of success? When you young and you black and you stress. Nigga, nigga, pull that shit again. The exercise to do every day, uh, which is an exercise of self-love, is you wake up and you ask yourself, what would someone who loved themselves do? Would they go to work in this job or would they stay home and quit and maybe start looking for something else that's closer to who they are and what they really like? And you do this with small, you start with smaller things. Like, does it feel loving to wake up and have a very strong coffee and a very strong cigarette uh, on an empty stomach, uh, uh, out, you know, outside in the garden? Or does it feel loving to, you know, actually have uh, some breakfast first and maybe work out for 10 to 15 minutes? So... It's an exercise of love because ultimately we are looking to find ourselves in external things because we don't love ourselves and potentially we think that maybe something else in our external reality, something, someone might save us. Forget about love, even, not even love, but might somehow save us from ourselves. But we don't have to be saved. Because to be saved means that we have to uh, distract ourselves from ourselves. And if we have to distract ourselves from ourselves, then that means that it's very uncomfortable to be within ourselves. So I quote, this is by Teal Swan. When I first attempted to use affirmations, this practice eventually made me feel worse. I would sit down at the kitchen table and try them. I, I would write, I love myself a hundred times on a sheet of paper and try to feel the words as I wrote them. But as I wrote them, it was as if my brain was saying back to me, you don't really think I'm this stupid, do you? Which is something that I experience. Because there's the part within you that wants it and a part within you that's wounded, abandoned and in pain and invalidated. That's going against it, almost like a crying child. Um, and this part that's forcing to live under kind of your stereotypical, you know, positive reinforcement what it's doing in return to this it's continues to bulldoze this child within and invalidate it 
and then this one gets stronger and stronger so then you feel even more torn apart like like it's split which uh causes overall to to you as a person more pain so then you have to latch on to external people places and substances even more so then your addictions increase your sense of worthlessness increases your sense of discomfort within yourself increases i i i'm i carry on i did not love myself and i did not have the slightest idea how to love myself Thus, my search for self-love left me even more frustrated than I was to begin with. Ultimately, I was left with the question, what makes people who love themselves different from people who don't? I knew that those differentiating qualities and behaviours would spell out in certain terms what it would take to love myself. Earlier in my journey, when I started observing people who love themselves, I must admit that jealousy would often get to the, be the better of me. I would find myself sitting in front of them with a giant scowl on my face. When you hate yourself and hate your life and you come across bright-eyed, bushy-tailed individuals who are happy to be alive and happy to be themselves, the first thing you want to do is make them go away. Most of us were thought, taught indirectly growing up that self-love was selfish and conceited. We were taught that self-deprecation was virtuous. We were taught this by adults who confused humility with self-deprecation and self-hatred. People who are traditionally seen as selfish and conceited do not love themselves. Instead, they are people who do not recognize oneness and who feel such profound lack in their own lives that they feel the need to take from others and to hoard. They cover over their insecurities with self-defeating pride. On the contrary, people who do show themselves love are feeling in their own internal need to such a degree that there is overflow. And in that abundance, they do not feel lack. They do not need anything from others. Instead, their love spills over to others. They are honest about their weaknesses and strengths, knowing that they have no bearing on overall worth. And in that honesty, they find a stable platform of humility. Self-love is the desire for the highest good of the self. Expressing self-love means to recognize one's own unwavering worth and deserving which cannot be added to or taken away from, highlighted or obscured, and then to subsequently choose actions and thoughts which align with the highest good for the self. As you start this journey, loving yourself is be being gentle with yourself. Know you are a precious, precious piece of this world. This world could not be complete without you. You are priceless, not because of what you do. You are priceless because you exist. A person in a vegetable state is as worthy as a person who is always active. You don't know it yet, but with time you will come to know that you are in fact the love of your life. Uh, I hope everybody accomplished something significant.
even if, even if you didn't accomplish anything significant, don't be discouraged. Just aim to accomplish something significant tomorrow and the next day. Yes, Lord. Um, if anybody's going through anything, I, I hope and I pray that you get through it. And just know that you do have the strength to get through whatever the fuck you're going through, no matter what it is. Um, and it's gonna sound cliche, but yeah, no cliche shit. You can do whatever the fuck you put your mind to. Whatever the fuck you put your mind to. It don't matter what, what it is. Like, any, everybody you see, any your favorite rapper, whether it be me or whoever the fuck else you admire, for whatever reason, um, they human just like you. If there's anybody telling you that you can't do it, anybody that's holding you back, anybody that's not encouraging you to, to do what you want to do in this life, all you got to do is just pull them to the side politely and be like, bitch, suck my dick!